you are listening to a podcast from The National. It's been an eventful start to 2019. US stocks have rebounded even as the government remains shut, while Washington delegates are in China to try to resolve the trade spat between the world's two biggest economies. Later, I'll be talking to Omar Alubaidli about what exactly all this means for the US going forward this year, its economy, and indeed, investor sentiment there. Closer to home, the UAE's economy is forecast to surge this year, while most others slow, and the UAE's Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, ADNOC, has entered the Global Data's list of top 10 most influential companies in the global energy sector. This is the National's Business Extra podcast. My name's Chris Nelson, Assistant Business Editor, and today I'm joined by Kelsey Warner to talk about a couple of the big stories of the week. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, Chris. This week, uh, ADNOC entered the global top 10 uh, under the global data ranking of uh, most influential energy uh, energy companies in the energy sector. It was ranked sixth on the list, and it was the only Middle East company to be featured. How how um, important do you think that is for the, for the standing of the company and for the country, in fact? It's interesting because it's sort of an affirmation of two different things that they have going on, the 2030 strategy, and also their you know, major gas discovery last year mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, those discoveries, as the uh, upstream minister said this morning, actually may continue this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so which is big news, really. Yeah. And um, the discovery last year, you know, increased uh, known reserves as of 7 percent, up mm-hmm. by 7 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the 2030 strategy really of, you know, increasing downstream activity. Um, this kind of is a nice signal from you know, the wild, wider wider market that mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's doing something right. And the UAE accounts for 4.2% of uh, global oil production uh, on its own, um, much of it from, from assets owned and operated by ADNOC. Um, a, a lot of the gas, however, in the UAE is trapped in unconventional um, sulfurous caps, which is also known as sour gas, uh, which contains sulfur, uh, etc., that has to be stripped um, to produce gas that's suitable for consumption. Um, will we see going forward, do you think, more investment in uh, the development of the gas reserves uh, infrastructure? Absolutely. And I think that was really affirmed this morning by the upstream director who spoke you know, mostly on uh, Adnox gas reserves and their intentions this year to continue making discoveries, continue making um, agreements for, uh, you know, further discovery and production. Um, it's really important for Adnox strategy for 2030 strategy for the 2030 strategy mm-hmm. to, you know, increase gas production because they're exporting a lot of the crude. And mm-hmm. so gas production is critical to the UAE's energy mix mm-hmm. domestically. Mm-hmm. Rather than burning oil, which they can in fact sell for more money. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Away from this country, of course, the direction for the global economy in 2019 is, according to S&P's Global Economic Outlook 2019, clear. GDP growth will slow in most major economies led by the US and China. The overall rate of expansion for the global economy, according to S&P, will fall 3.6% from a six-year high last year of 3.8%. Now, there are glimmers of hope in uh, in uh, this report, which was also backed up today uh, or yesterday, rather, by the World Bank, which also saw... Uh, the global economy slipping to 2.9 this year compared to 3% last year. Um, now, the highlights are, uh, and most importantly to us, the, uh, the UAE, um, which, uh, according to the IMF, uh, will largely book the slowdown. Um, 
In fact, a recent report from the fund indicated that real GDP in this country would grow 3.7% in 2019, compared with 2.9% forecast for last year. Um, And this is really on the back of the non-oil economy uh, signalling a positive outlook for this year. Um, What's your take on the sort of shift between moving away from from a reliance upon hydrocarbons uh, into this um, more uh, non-oil-driven economic growth? Just like with Adnock getting breaking into the top 10 this year, it's another kind of confirmation from an outside uh, authority that the UAE is headed in the right direction in terms of expanding its scope, you know, emphasis on downstream activity, emphasis on tourism, emphasis on broadening the country just on the global stage mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. Is, it's really positive. Mm-hmm. And I think people who live here should really feel buoyed by yeah. by this news, yeah. especially since a lot of our countries that we call home have been, you know, <laughs> kind of such messes yeah. recently with yeah. Brexit, yeah. China, US. Yeah. Those things yeah. are playing really heavily on these outlooks. Yeah, on global sentiment. Yeah, On absolutely. global sentiment. Yeah. So for the UAE to kind of be a bit of a bright spot in these forecasts. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's it's really a, positive. Yeah. yeah. And it's something yeah. to be happy about and I think to emphasize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another bright spot is India, which um, is forecast to rise from 7.1 to 7.3. Now, obviously, the geographical relationship between the UAE and India, I would imagine, means that, that there are positives to be gained in, in um, intra-trade uh, growth between the two countries. We have a very close relationship with India anyway. Do you think that, that uh, it's another sign of the kind of global influence shift from the West more to the east that has been really going on for the past sort of two, three, four, five years. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, last year when you were talking to economists or any entrepreneur, even in the UAE, any market watcher, they're all saying, you know, last year, 2018 was going to be the year of India. Um, and so the fact that they're kind of maintaining some some stasis going into ni- 2019 and kind of like the UAE are a bright spot. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, it's another another sign of positivity, but also uh, we'll be looking out at the elections coming up in sure. India, and that is going to have a major impact on uh, its road ahead. Yeah. Uh, finally, one of the uh, shock events of this uh, of this week was um, the sudden uh, decision by the World Bank Group president Yim Yong Kim. Uh, saying he will step down far, far earlier than uh, was uh, originally um, uh, thought uh, to join Global Infrastructure Partners, a private equity fund uh, that invested in projects in wealthy and developing countries. Um, he joins on February the 1st. Now, it's it was not expected at all for him to leave. Do you think that is a reflection on the, the on a decline of the relevance of the World Bank? Or, or I mean, he's leaving, he sure. says, to, to because he can do a better job glo- in, the, growing, in the private sector. Growing infrastructure yes. globally. In yeah, and so where, where, um, what conclusions are we to draw from, you know, a resignation three years uh, kind of too soon. Mm. I, I think it's relevant to note that uh, he was a Barack Obama appointee, that Americans hold voting power for who becomes World Bank president. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a very different world than when Obama appointed him. Trump has been, you know, one of the biggest cheerleaders of the coal industry. And Kim has kind of dropped coal as a major point of investment mm-hmm. for the World Bank mm-hmm. and really turned to green energy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Kim really sees a place for himself in a world where, where Trump you know, is cheerleading coal. Mm. So it makes his position uncomfortable, sort of makes his position uncomfortable. It, you know, Trump has railed against the World Bank before he's. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see who President Trump puts up as the appointee. Of course, it needs to be approved by an executive board. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can't be too 
you know, hawkish on his pick. Also, friends of Kim have said to the press that this really wasn't a political decision and it also wasn't a decision made because the private sector is more relevant. So perhaps it's unfair to to make draw any major conclusions, but it is kind of a changing of the guard and one of the legacy appointees yeah. of Obama. We will see, Kelsey, how uh, how this uh, how this year pans out. But it's uh, if it's anything like the first week or so, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we're in for it. <laughs> okay, Kelsey, thank you very much for that. Thank you, Chris. Um, and uh, we'll talk again soon, no doubt. Talking about the state of U.S. economics, I'm joined by Omar Alu Badley, economics expert and researcher at Dirasat in Bahrain. Welcome, Omar. Obviously, uh, this has been the start of a a, a new year, particularly in the US, where stocks have perhaps confounded conventional wisdom after the close so so low, um, uh, lowest since 1931, I think, um, at the back end of the year or over Christmas. Um, Do you think the current rebound in uh, in US stocks is sustainable or do you think it's it's more um, a sort of a new year blip? I think that it's going to be sustainable in the short term, but in the long term, things will take uh, will have to correct downwards mm-hmm. because the the reason for the sustained and very robust growth that we saw in stock prices over the last ten years is that uh, after the Great Recession, U.S. Uh, policymakers had a uh, first of all put interest rates down to effectively zero, and secondly. Uh, they had a quantitative easing program. So there was just a huge amount of liquidity being thrust into the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. And all that liquidity, you know, the plan was for that liquidity to go to stimulating the economy. But actually what happened was that people just saved that money and put it into stocks, mm-hmm. companies, organizations, and so on and so forth. And that's why, you know, stocks went went through the roof. And then more recently, um, after Trump's election, there's been very good economic news, even actually before that, at the end of Obama's uh, presidential term, second term. Uh, And that's what's been sustaining the momentum. And that's been uh, a key reason why stocks remain uh, robust. There's been that sort of mini rebound at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. Uh, But eventually, uh, you know, uh, the economy will hit full full employment and uh, and may start to turn uh, to something a little... Uh, a little bit negative, uh, mm-hmm. if not worse, and then at that point things will have to correct downwards. Mm-hmm. The party will will probably come to a yeah. close. I mean, I, I guess it's unlikely that stocks will uh, retest all-time highs this year, um, as they did as parts of last year. Um, but do you think they'll still it, they'll still um, hand investors positive returns um, in the shorter term? And and if that's so, what what is the do you think the upcoming risk? Uh, to to that um, to that uh, increase of returns in the shorter term. What do you think might tip it into um, a negative uh, area? So there's there's three factors I would say. One is if the Federal Reserve continues increasing interest rates, which has a direct effect, direct negative effect, and also an indirect effect in that it's creating significant tension between the Federal Reserve and the White House, which may even result in. Uh, a power being dismissed, which mm-hmm. would be uh, um, uh, an unwelcome move. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I would say that uh, uh, if uh, if the sort of, as I say, sustained growth in jobs takes slows down a little bit, um, which almost inevitably has to happen because because you, you, you can't have more more people employed than there are people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and thirdly, 
it's the sort of jitters over this U.S. Chinese global trade war. Yeah, uh, that was one of the catalysts for the for the for the things to take a turn south in the last few months. Um, and uh, now you know it's a bit of a standoff, um, but everybody's waiting to see are they going to. Uh, countries like China and the U.S. going to resolve their differences, mm-hmm. or are they going to uh, escalate? Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, what's going on in the uh, U.S. government internally at the moment suggests that escalation is a significant risk. Yeah, I think the the, the um, situation between Trump and uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is quite interesting, isn't it? Because um, last week he, you know, the initial um, sort of uh, posi- his position was we will be re- you know we will be hiking rates. Uh, Mr. Trump doesn't like that. Um, but last week, uh, Mr. Powell basically was was sort of issuing soothing words about the potential for pausing rate hikes. Um, and to a certain extent, I guess that that's kind of emboldening those who who believe that what has been an almost ten percent rally in the S and P five hundred since Christmas Eve um, has further to run. Do do you think um, Powell's softening of 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 that position is? Uh, likely to to um, help to sustain uh, further, even what some people are saying, or not, you know, uh, is further to go um, than than uh, it is uh, at the moment. Do, do you think Powell is a, is recogn- rec- uh, you know is cognitive of that uh, specifically, or or do you think he's just trying to smooth the waters with Trump at the minute? I think that I think that he he's he's being he's being um, sincere. The uh, uh, you know one of the key goals for the Federal Reserve informally is for it to you know keep a lid on inflation. Now one, it's been increasing interest rates in the last six months uh, and uh, in the last year, and also when uh, uh, when uh, Janet, ya- Janet Yellen was was in charge of the Federal Reserve, because in it, unemployment has been falling so consistently, and more recently because wage growth has started to come in. So mm. now once wage growth kicks in, there's a real fear that that will spill over into higher prices. And that's when the Federal Reserve feels though it has to act. Now, as it happens, at the moment, with the exception of wage growth, you know, prices look very stable. The dollar is strong because the rest of the world, the other countries in the world are not doing well. So mm-hmm. as long as the dollar is strong, that helps keep prices under control. And so I think Powell's being sincere and he's saying, look, at the moment, no need to do, you know, the stocks have gone down. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, we're not getting any major overheating red flags in the mm-hmm. economy. So I'm happy to calm down. And also I think he realizes that, the, you know, people don't like the idea of there being a scrap between him uh, and the president. Mm. Uh, but I think that's definitely secondary to 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 the to the fact that overheating measures are, you know, at the moment under control. Mm-hmm. And that there are numerous voices around saying that, uh, you, you know, the the uh, news that the U.S. economy is going to slip into recession uh, are overblown. Um, one being Bob Dole, uh, who's um, a senior portfolio manager at uh, Nuveen Asset Management, who said that, uh, he said basically, when the dust settles, if it ever does, the fear of a recession will prove to be premature. Um, you know, we will have growth. He accepts the fact that it will slow from 2018. Um, and he says earnings will be up, uh, although slower. Uh, however, he he uh, and, and others, including City, uh, Citigroup and Bank of America strategists, um, who advised buying stocks um, after the recent uh, sell-off. Um, although uh, it is acceptable for investors now, and, and, and according to Mr. Dull, uh, it will allow equity markets to move higher. Um, now, that those seem quite positive. Uh, you know, these, these are uh, fairly big, big uh, players talking, so that seems quite positive. 
Um, obviously, it comes those kind of com comments come against the background of the government shutdown uh, in the US at the minute, um, or a partial shutdown, um, the longest in American history, as far as I understand it. Um, now, the last significant shutdown was around about 2013, and according to government re US government research afterwards, that cost the economy $20 billion um, and prevented the uh, new generation of around 150,000 jobs. Um, how do you see the, the, the shutdown of the government potentially impacting not only the economy, but, but also the, the kind of the um, investor sentiment uh, in, in stocks? Uh, so I think the, the shutdown is a, is a potentially serious issue because uh, it's, uh, the, in principle, the direct uh, uh, areas of difference are small and should be easily to resolve. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that they're not being resolved means is an indication that there may be some protracted paralysis uh, uh, and dysfunction in the U.S. government, which is a which is a which is a concern for for yeah. investors. So we're talking about something like a you know five billion dollars for the for the for the for the wall, which mm -hmm. is a drop in the ocean for the U.S. budget. Mm -hmm. um, but both sides are, are digging in over this issue uh, and both sides look like they want to send a message to the other side and to the general public and this can all get very messy mm. um, uh, so so I think there's you know real concern for the uh, uh, for the economy not because of the delay in projects and government action from yeah. the shutdown itself but more about the the dysfunction it's uh, it, it's indicating that it's going to happen yeah. throughout the next two years uh, until the uh, next presidential election. Yeah. Do, do you think it's it's sort of a case of, of basically a kind of a who's going to blink first war between uh, Trump and, and, and the Democrats? I mean, presumably, I, I would imagine that he may, he may well be thinking, look, you know, if it's going to cost the economy 20, 25, 30 billion to, to, for this stalemate to, retire, to, to remain, um, is he perhaps thinking that the Democrats will think, well, do you know what? Maybe it's actually maybe we cut our losses and say, okay, you can have five point seven billion for the wall um, because that, in the in the overall scheme of things, is a lot less painful uh, to the economy than than a you know continuation of this shutdown. Well, not even if you, even if you set aside the, the, the shutdown, the the wall itself clearly means a lot to Trump mm. and probably means more to Trump than it does to anybody else in the government. Mm. Um, and so, really, the sensible thing is, from a negotiating standpoint. Um, is that the uh, government should agree uh, with Trump to give him the wall in exchange for something that the Democrats want, mm -hmm. uh, uh, for example, something a dreamers bill or some infrastructure mm -hmm. bill or something along mm -hmm. those lines. So, so it should be something which is relatively easy to resolve. Um, uh, uh, and what's stopping them is some sort of long-term political gamesmanship. Yeah. But each side wants to sort of send a message to the other that, you know, my way or the highway, yeah. um, and so that's transforming it into what you alluded to, sort of who blinks first. Yeah. But it really shouldn't be. It should just be, oh, you want your wall five billion? We'll give it to you, but you have to give us one, two, three. Yeah. And and you know, Trump's not an ideologue. He'll be happy to give them one, two, three if they want it. Yeah. So really, it should be should be a lot more straightforward than it is. Yeah, yeah. Of course, also weighing on uh, on um, U.S. sentiment uh, is of course the the uh, situation with China, and to a certain extent the EU now. Um, the, the rumblings coming out of the uh, meeting between the US and China in Beijing at the minute seem reasonably positive. Um, assuming uh, that some sort of uh, compromise can be reached in that uh, uh, regard, um, how, or let's say it doesn't, 
How how would that do you think um, be manifested on in its effect in the Gulf countries? So I think it's uh, first of all, as you say, in, in in the trade dimension, we've got you know two quote unquote success stories for Trump in terms of his renegotiation tactics. You have the case of NAFTA, the North mm-hmm. Atlantic, North American uh, Free Trade Agreement with Canada and Mexico, which he sort of said no and then renegotiated, much to the chagrin of Canada and Mexico, but they reached a new agreement. Yeah. And then Turkey, which he imposed um, elevated uh, uh, steel and aluminium tariffs upon uh, as part of the efforts to uh, repatriate um, uh, uh, the U.S. preacher, uh, whose name I, I can't re- recall, but that, that ultimately proved successful too. Yeah. Uh, so probably um, the U.S., uh, uh, China trade rift will be resolved, as will the EU-US one. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the impact on the on the on the Gulf countries, the direct impact is is, is very limited because you know the the uh, Gulf countries, all uh, these sort of ex, the the tariffs that are being imposed mm-hmm. either bilaterally or globally are not ones which have a, a major impact on on uh, Gulf industries because so. you know Gulf industries primarily export yeah. petrochemicals which are outside of this equation uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but there is a significant indirect effect which is that uh, this is contributing to the sort of dissolution without wishing to say sound alarmist the dissolution of the world order uh, the Gulf countries are, con- are re- small countries they're not yeah. they're not powers like China like the US like Russia um, and so they the, these smaller countries rely on uh, international organizations like the UN and like the international rule of law, like the World Trade Organization, yeah. in, in, in being active uh, in order to safeguard their interests and, and to stop them from being bullied by bigger countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What Trump has uh, contributed to, he's, def- he's definitely not the only, con- no, only contributor, but he's definitely contributed to is the uh, uh, is this sort of dissolution or undermining of this of these global organizations which help protect the smaller countries from the bigger ones yeah. uh, and you'll get a sort of slowly dissolving revol- dissolving back into a state of you know law of the jungle yeah. We, yeah. you know strong uh, imposing their will upon the weak mm-hmm. uh, and that's not something which play which is in favor of the gulf countries and so mm-hmm. uh, and so the gulf countries would would prefer that the international rule of law is respected yeah. uh, and that everybody you know adheres by the agreements uh, mm-hmm. uh, that they originally have and and hopefully Something will take a turn for the better, but it's not looking that way at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and very briefly, Omar, closer to home, uh, of course. Um, uh, Bahrain introduced uh, the five percent VAT uh, in line with um, the GCC-wide VAT agreement signed in 2017. Um, what what's what's the uh, what do you think will be the the overall kind of effect uh, of that on uh, Bahrain's economy? I think that in in the long run, the the effect. Uh, will be limited uh, because it's five percent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in in the short run, there will be some you know adjustment pains. Companies, uh, the bigger companies, it should be okay for them because uh, adapting to uh, VAT will not be. A, they already have in-house accounting teams, mm-hmm. and it won't be a major adjustment. Mm-hmm. But eventually, if and when VAT extends to smaller organisations, because yeah. at the moment I think it's as a minimum re- revenue requirement, but when it does extend to a smaller ones, there's going to be adjustment in terms of you know co- companies that are run more informally that have less access to cutting-edge accounting resources will have to learn how to do things like calculating yeah. VAT and, and, and making the necessary adjustments. Yeah. But in the long run. You know, everybody will absorb this new new way of doing things, and and it will become standard. and And a five percent tax is, is is not a major consequence. Obviously, uh, 
you know people's purchasing power will decline in, in the short run, but hopefully mm. they'll be offset by uh, um, uh, successful economic policies yeah. that will you know keep the co- economy growing yeah. uh, in the medium to long term. Indeed, and at the moment, of course, it's only those companies with sales exceeding five uh, five million Bahraini uh, dinars right. that uh, have to have to apply by by 20, December twentieth. Uh, this year, according to yes. the, NB, uh, the National Bureau of Taxation, so yes, yeah, so it's the big players at the moment. But we'll we'll uh, wait and see how that plays out. Um, okay, Omar, right. thank you very much for your time this afternoon, um, and uh, we shall uh, we shall wait and see what the year brings. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks very much to Omar Alubaidli and to Kelsey Warner. My name's Chris Nelson, and that was the Nationals Business Extra podcast. Join us again next week.